Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Welcome to the show. And we have another guest uh, lined up for you. And her name is Marlene Chisholm. And together we are talking about something very important. It's called conflict. Is conflict truly avoidable? I'm not sure. For me, probably not, but it might depend on the personality. For others, uh, they feel, yeah, it is. We step into some great debates and discussions, but not necessarily into a strong conflict. It really depends. But today we are going to talk about what is conflict, A. B, what makes us run into conflicts, but also realizing, is the conflict really the issue or is the issue rather in um, how we manage the conflict? Are we avoiding it, right? And uh, we uh, just play really cool or we uh, pretend there is no conflict or are we someone who is postponing it? Yeah, yeah, I notice, I see that you are in a bad mood, but let me think about it. I get back to you, right? And then that's never going to happen. Are we someone who steps into conflict with full aggression? trying to be right, trying to make sure, you know, my ego is satisfied. And then when we do that, how do we react? How can we become more open, more objective, more empathetic in those situations in order to um, really use conflict to enhance relationships? Because there are quite a few benefits to conflicts as well. Now, Marlene is very, very clear throughout the show that she is not a supporter of the theory that we should all embrace conflict, right? So let's face conflict. Yeah, it's the greatest thing to do. Conflict has its place, but also conflict can be avoided. And she's sharing some amazing strategies with us, how we can do that and how we can go about it. So more about conflict and how we can manage it in a few seconds. But let me share a little bit more about Marlene herself. She is a consultant, an author, and a leading authority on stopping workplace drama. She works with leaders to build drama-free cultures that drive growth and reduce costly mistakes. Marlene is also known for helping managers address the elephant in the room and initiate conversations that get results. Marlene is a recognized expert on the LinkedIn learning platform, producing five educational video series on topics that include anger management, working with high conflict people, and having difficult conversations. She has a degree in communications, a master's in human resources development, and she's an advanced practitioner in narrative coaching. She is the author of five books, including her latest book that we are going to focus on quite a bit today, From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. So isn't it uh, time to start leading for all of us? Well, then you will be highly interested in this episode, and I can't wait to hear from you how you found it, what you found particularly interesting, what resonated with you. So by all means, please do let me know. But I speak to you again in a moment. Enjoy. Oh, hello, hello, hello. Marlene, how are you? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are more than welcome to be here on the show. I actually, before we hit the record button here today, I had today three workshops that I ran. And last week it was a marathon of workshops. And 
for some reason, it was so odd. The, the co topic conflict came up all the time. And I was referring naturally to you and the book you have written because you said something to me during our first chat that stuck with me. So I hope loads of people will buy or have bought the book because, um, yeah, it, it really stuck with me. You said to me, the issue about conflict is not the conflict. It's about how we manage the conflict. So tell us about it. Why is that the issue and actually not the conflict? Yeah, it's so easy to blame the situation or the other person whenever we feel this conflict and we get that queasy feeling of we're angry and we don't want to show our anger or we want to avoid it and appease and, and make everything right. And so we do certain things to deal with those feelings. And we think the conflict is the issue. And here's the weird part of that. The facts are there. Someone did something they shouldn't have done. The situation happened that shouldn't happen. So it's not that the facts aren't there. It's not that these things don't exist and we're just supposed to sing a happy tune. But the real problem is how we deal with it, not the issue itself. So the more we expand ourselves and we're able to confront it, deal with it, solve it, seek the facts, get clarity, the better we are at conflicts instead of repeating the same old patterns. So conflict is not the problem. Mismanagement is. And mismanagement, I assume, could also mean not facing the conflict at all, the avoidance of it as such. Yes. In fact, I talk about in the book, From Conflict to Courage, that there's three ways. And I've just kind of categorized our mismanagement so that people can identify themselves in an easy way. But I call it avoiding, appeasing, and aggression. So avoidance, those of us that avoid, we know that we avoid. We're aware of that. We don't like conflict. We know we avoid. The appeasers say things that you want to hear, like, that's a great idea. Or, you know what, I think I agree. Or I'll get back to you later. We'll talk about that next week when really we're just doing it to make someone happy in that moment. And it causes conflict for them later on because they believed you and they're not reading between the lines. And then there's the aggression, which is my way or the highway, done talking about it which is kind of where I land sometimes. And the theory that I have is that even aggression is a form of avoidance because we're avoiding our own expansion. We're avoiding the intimacy of a, a difficult conversation. We're avoiding learning new information or being wrong. So aggression is still avoidance. So those three patterns are the three A's, avoidance, appeasing, and aggression. And that's how we mismanage. Sorry, you're talking about conflict, but I have a massive smile on my face. Um, <laughs> Because even just those categories give me a sense of ease. For example, I'm someone who can step into conflict. Unfortunately, I was raised with a lot of conflict. Um, I come from a family with a lot of fighting and constant arguments and I have to be right and so on and so forth. And someone very close to me is probably an appeaser who says to me, as, when, when there's any chance of a teeny tiny debate even, let me think about that. Yes. I don't know. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I want to talk about that now. What's going on? You must have one point of view at least. And I'm craving for this discussion and it's not happening. And you just gave me a little bit of a framework, at least. What different types are there? The question for me is, why do they exist? So why are there people who rather avoid? Why are there people who are those appeasers, for example? I think you just nailed it by saying how you grew up in your family of origin, you know, because I think they're all defense mechanisms that appeasing gets me off the hook. And that worked in my family of origin. I was taught to say, you know, I was taught to believe without knowing that we're taught we're programmed the first eight years of life. We, we, our, our brains are in a different state. So we believe everything and we make up stories to fill in the gaps. So if in the family of origin, mom and dad was really having an affair, there was alcoholism, but it was all hidden and we all looked perfect. It's all, we'll talk about it later. That's how we are. We're nice people. So therefore that becomes the natural coping mechanism of wanting to be seen as nice. So it has to do with background plus your own identity of how you see yourself. And it's all just a defense over feelings that we don't like, even aggression. No one's going to do me that way again. I mean, I, I grew up in that kind of household too, where there was a lot of drama and, you know, you teach what you need to learn. So all my books are about stop workplace drama, no drama leadership. It's all about drama and from conflict to courage. But I grew up being afraid for so long, you know, scary dad, scary aunt, scary fifth grade teacher. Everybody was scary, lots of conflict. And I think it developed me into an adult who said, no one's going to do that to me again. I'm going to be the scary one. 
So I think we just adapt in order to deal with whatever our wounds are or whatever we learned in our family of origin. Thank you for being so open about it. And congratulations on your book, by the way. It's not your first book from Conflict to Courage, is it? No, it's it's my fifth. And my first one was self-published. So it's my fourth commercially published and, and my fifth overall. Wow. Wow. Well, amazing. And I've ordered... Um, I put a pre-order in for your book uh, because I'm so curious about it. Conflict seems to be a topic all around me at the moment. I'm going to share more about it in a moment. But I'm more curious to hear from you about the book and how you actually came to write in particular this book and really nail down the topic of conflict. Well, it was an exciting opportunity, really. I, I kind of had this idea when COVID first started It was just an idea, an intuition. I think I might be able to get a book deal. Now, I know that you have to write a marketing plan to get a book deal, but I just had that idea. So I started writing a marketing plan uh, proposal and I wrote it for difficult conversations because I've been teaching a process for difficult conversations regarding performance in the workplace and behavioral issues. Been teaching that. It's my highest paid kind of development program. And I thought I need to write a book on that. So I, what happened was this was out of the blue. Uh, a woman who used to work for LinkedIn, LinkedIn Learning, and she was my first person that contacted me, or I, I met with her and I built my first anger management program on LinkedIn Learning on that platform. She had left that job and now was working for a British publisher. <laughs> and uh, she was looking, she had just emailed me and said, I kept my contact list. Are you working on anything? And I thought, isn't that weird? I had mm -hmm. that feeling that I was going to write a book. And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. And it's about difficult conversations. We had a conversation about it. The bottom line was she already had an author that that year that was doing one on difficult conversations. So she didn't think they would buy into that. And she said, yeah. would you be willing to write one on a bigger context of conflict? And I thought, wow, that's quite the challenge. And I was real excited about it. And I, I rewrote the proposal three times and I got this intuitive hit again, that it was going to be called from conflict to courage. As it turned out, she said, we don't like titles like that. That sounds too touchy-feely. It needs to be growing conflict capacity or something like that. And, and then they didn't like the way I wrote it. It needed to be not so much into personal development and not so much about feelings and the things that I talk about emotional integrity. And it just didn't work out. And I was really okay with that. I wanted to work with her because I liked her so much, but I've learned about releasing resistance. And I said, if this isn't meant to be, I'd rather just know it, whether I get a book deal or not, because I want it to be fun. That's such a value for me to enjoy who I work with. And to, the process is every bit as important as the outcome for me. So we didn't, we didn't come together. The publisher turned down my ideas and my writing. And I said, that's fine. And I boldly asked her, would you introduce me to another publisher, which they don't normally do that, but she did. And I got the deal with them. So that's how it happened. Brilliant. And you know what? Connecting this story back to conflict, if I were told, um, no, it's uh, the, the title is too warm and fussy, for example, or we cannot really publish this book for X and Y and Z reasons, I would probably feel quite emotional about it. And I might maybe not start a conflict, but a discussion, even a debate. So what kept you cool and calm in that moment? I Every time I get ready to do something big like this, I know the lessons are going to be very difficult and that I'm going to have to live into what I'm teaching. I know that. I already know it from the beginning. And I won't lie, I felt disappointed, but only for about a day. I was shocked, actually. I thought they would accept it and see the value in it. But I thought, well, if I was coaching someone, I would say, trust the universe, trust that if this is meant for you to be, and I don't believe in just meant to be, and you don't do the work, but I'm willing to do the work, but I have to be open to this journey and it'll happen or it won't. And I, I'm at the age now to where I don't really feel like I have to prove myself. I'll say that if I would have been in my forties, I would have probably flipped cartwheels and changed the title and done everything they wanted just to have the deal. But I've learned, this is one of my sayings. If there's drama in the boat, there's going to be drama on the island. Oh, so if we're having that much trouble right here, getting together on this, then something's just not right. And I, and I trust it. They have their reasons and I don't know all those reasons. Right. And they don't know me. So I just, I just kind of trusted it. I'm very thankful that I had that experience. 
If there's drama on the boat, there's drama on the island. That's something that I will definitely remember. So, so true, right? It doesn't have to be, but like, just know that if there's drama in the boat, when you're really trying to get along and wanting something to happen and you're having that much trouble, you either have to stay in the boat and work it out. Mm -hmm. You cannot trust that when we get to the island, it's all going to be okay. Well, once we get the book deal, it'll be fine. Once we get the money from this client and this account, it'll be great. Once we get these three new people hired, it'll be fine. Maybe and maybe not because mm. you're struggling right here. And that's where the struggle has to be resolved is in the boat. Yeah. When you mentioned fun being one of your key values, there was a sense of alignment for me there. It came out right away, very authentically. It felt strong to me. And also, when I think of a conversation we had before, we hit the record button where you said, I haven't had a day off in such a long time. So the emotional drain that I noticed inside of me when you said that, tiredness, basically, perhaps exhaustion, it might not have been the case for you. But I wonder how our emotional state, as well as perhaps a disalignment with our values, may impact conflict and how we manage or don't manage conflict. Uh, that's such a brilliant insight and question. And I would say that I don't typically say fun as a top value. What I would say is that alignment. And I can be not having fun and still be aligned because I so believe in something and I know that, that, that I'm willing to work through it. So it wasn't just that I have to have fun. It's that alignment for me means that I don't sell my soul to do something just to get a product out there. And I enjoyed this person. So therefore, that was part of my drive. I really enjoyed her because she was an avid reader and she loved personal development herself and did counseling and therapy work for herself. I love people like that. So I thought this she's going to love my work. And the intellectual feed off of each other as I write this is going to be really intriguing and fun. So that to me was exciting and aligned. But when it's like change who you are and change how you think, then that misalignment causes me to not experience it as joyful or as worth it. So sometimes you have fun, sometimes you don't. And I'm willing to make I'm willing for things to be hard or unhappy, but it's still alignment is everything. And I look at alignment is bigger than opportunity. Does that make sense? Uh, not 100%. Um, if you could explore together with me, this alignment okay. is bigger than opportunity. That would be fantastic. Yeah. So we all love opportunity as entrepreneurs, right? Solopreneurs, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, business owners, small business owners, we look for opportunity. But if the opportunity forces you to go against your values, you will suffer. Mm -hmm. For example, on the executive level, if you hire or board members or you get investors based on, only on, their deep pockets, their connections, their business savvy, and yet they have completely different values and they're more like Shark Tank and you're more like it's about relationships too. You are going to struggle so much in your business with internal conflict because you're not aligned. So alignment always trumps opportunity. So if mm -hmm. the opportunity is not also aligned with your higher values and your objectives, mm -hmm. you may think you're excited now when there's drama in the boat, but it's going to get worse. Yeah. And it is, it's just going to get worse until you deal with that issue. So I always look, is it aligned? Not just, is it an opportunity? Like, is it just a distraction? And I'm excited, for example, new solopreneurs, they get distracted by, they see some web commercial or something on YouTube that's like, buy Bitcoin. I can tell you how to be a millionaire in just three months. Just buy my package that's $10,000. And honestly, all you've got to do is work for 12 hours at your computer every day for three months. And the truth is you're not excited at all. You're only excited for the outcome you think will happen, which is about the money that you're greedily going to make. And then you're going to get invested in it. And then on, on the second month, you're going to be like, I cannot, I can't, I can't keep this up. And I'm, I wasted this money. You wasted it because you got excited only about the opportunity, not whether it was aligned to your bigger goals. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely feel that and understand what you mean. And what I noticed in that moment of excitement, right, is the inner conflict. Yes. Because there is a sense of values and something that doesn't quite fit but this excitement about the opportunity is overlapping the inner critic, perhaps our yeah. inner uh, kind of uh, auntie, as I call the uh, call her, who says, you know, hold on a moment, think about that again. So, where does conflict actually start? Is it always the inner conflict that we hold in ourselves? So, what's the starting point? Yeah, I, I do have that theory with this book. The theory that has helped, and it's helped me. So, we'll see if someone else sees it differently, but. 
one of the theories is that there is no conflict at all unless there's first an inner conflict. So if you think about it, the reason we have, like, in other words, I've got an inner conflict. Maybe you and I need to talk about something, but I want you to like me because we've got a deal that we've got to do together in three weeks. And if I bring it up now, that deal might go away. So I have an inner conflict in that something's not right, but I'm just going to manipulate and I'm going to appease because I want this deal to happen. Mm -hmm. So I've got this inner conflict. Here's the real issue, though. If I'm a sociopath, I don't care about how you feel. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to do it. There's no inner conflict. It's all about me. And I know that. So the good news is, is that because we care about our deals and about other people and about ourselves and our reputation and our career and our tenure, we care about being admired and respected. So that creates this inner conflict of like, okay, if I don't take this book deal, will I get another one? Or like, do I need to just do this because that's going to get me to the next level? Or am I willing to feel the discomfort in talking with someone honestly about like, it's not the right fit and they didn't accept mine, but I know it wasn't the right fit anyway, because I wasn't willing to budge. And, and I accept that, right? Can I still befriend them and be respectful, even though I don't have the whole answer, because in my inner alignment is more important than getting the deal. So that's why I say it's always, there is no conflict unless there's an inner conflict first. That's why managers won't talk to problem employees because they're afraid to lose them. They're afraid with how the economy is now, we can't afford to lose anybody. So they're not navigating the ship any longer. They're being manipulated by employees who aren't showing up, who are troublemakers and so on because they've lost their sense of values. They, They don't trust themselves to lead and really deal with the situation. They, they make excuses because it's a hard economy. We, you don't understand. We've got low levels of, of um, we're, we're not able to attract the talent. So there's a lot within that. We can go deeper into all that if you want to on the business level. But the reason that we don't have conversations is because we're, our inner alignment is off. We are so scared. We're operating from fear versus from our values. We're, we're operating from opportunity versus alignment. And I'd love to go deeper into that topic because Legendary Leaders as a podcast is um, uh, obviously addressed to leaders of all sorts, entrepreneurs, leaders of everyday life, leaders in corporate. Corporate is always a big focus of mine and uh, of a lot of clients I am working with. So it's, it's very interesting to go into that topic more. What you've just shared is something that I would explain as your own beliefs and assumptions. So I've been a leader in organizations. I've been an avoider in the past and I have not been an avoider in the past. I stepped into different roles, right? At the moment in my personal as well as professional life, I have a lot of avoiders around me who believe if they have those tricky conversations, employee will leave or whatnot, whatever, everything you have basically shared. And the question I always have, is that the truth? Where do those beliefs and assumptions come from? Because there are so many shades of gray. Not every employee is manipulating, but every employee would react badly or leave. Actually, exactly the opposite could happen from my perspective. But you are the expert. So what do you think about it? Well, yes, they could leave. That's that's in the field of possibilities. Mm -hmm. This is what we have to realize, that we're making up a story about what's going to happen based on our past experience versus building a map to a future experience. So in the field of possibilities, that person could die tomorrow. That person may leave. That person may call the state agency on your organization. That person might do any number of things that you cannot really control. What you can control is your intention and the reason for the conversation and the tools that you use to have the conversation. All too often what happens is because there's so much inner misalignment, we become enemies in our mind first about that person and what they're going to do. And so therefore we document so that we can fire instead of saying the documentation is just for it's for notes so we can tell what we've done to help that person. But if you can clear up your, like if you can create emotional integrity, if you can clear up your inner drama about it and say, okay, let's just look at the facts, what's happening that shouldn't be happening, what's not happening that should be, how's this affecting the business? If I can look at the facts and quit buying into my assumptions about they're doing it on purpose, they know what they're doing, they're a troublemaker, that's all my story about it. Maybe true, maybe not. But if I can look at the facts of what's happening, the observed behavior, what I want to happen, if I can do that first and get rid of my desire to have revenge or to be right about my assumptions, and I can say, okay, so my intention is to have X happen, to have them 
complete documentation like they need to, or my intention is for them to up their sales 4% and all that would take would be X, or I don't know why they're not able to and everyone else is, so I need to find out why. But if I can come from a pure intention, and that is the hardest part I find for myself, because generally we have, we're kind of loaded for bear. We're ready to be right about it and we already know what they're going to say. So we're living from past programming instead of a future possibility. So if we can say, if the future, if the island we're going to is called, we get along, we've resolved it, they're they're doing what I've asked them to do, then that's going to be my intention from the beginning of the conversation. My intention is to talk about your sales and to figure out how I can help you to increase at 5%. That's my intention for this conversation. And what I've observed is every Tuesday and Thursday, you've been calling out, you know, for three months. How this is affecting the business is, now what I don't want is for you to think that I'm coming after you or documenting so I can fire. This is truly a conversation in in hopes that I can support you and and understand where you're coming. So when you use this model, you've got your own clarity as a leader at the beginning and you have to be willing to get rid of all your, your drama before you do it. The next part of it is the employee clarity to hear their point of view and to have them walk you through what's going on from their perspective and not get distracted by the island called that's not fair or you don't understand or the reason why this is happening is. You've got to truly stay focused on your outcome. And that is a whole chapter in the book, which was going to be the whole book. And now it's just a chapter. But that chapter is actually quite intriguing because that is something that happens frequently. That's not fair. And I have actually done it. It's not my fault. All those phrases that could fall. For someone who is a new leader or simply a bit insecure and experienced in um, managing conflict or any kind of debate, what would you recommend in that situation? How can people not only be focused and remain focused, but also deal with those phrases in the best possible way? I would really recommend, I've got a, well, I've got a program on LinkedIn learning. I was going to say it gives you a lot of the skills, but it doesn't line out the, the actual template. Here's what I find with brand new leaders. It's such an interesting paradox. New leaders come to the decision and the, um, the role of being a leader with excitement and this belief that, well, we're all adults. And you know what? As long as I get along, with my people, they're going to do me right, which is not always true. Because once you have conflict, once someone goes against that boundary and you have to now represent your organization, you're no longer their their best friend. So there's your inner conflict, there's your outer conflict, and now you're up against the wall and then then you start getting really upset and it's hard to focus. So in a way, this conflict resolution stuff and these communication skills are not relevant until it's relevant. It's not even interesting until you're actually like in a situation where all of a sudden you don't trust yourself as much. I just had someone from a large organization from Google that direct messaged me and said, I just took your class on LinkedIn learning of difficult conversations. I'm not a leader yet, but this was really intriguing. Okay. So here's what's going on. She is starting to identify as a leader. Therefore it's relevant. If you don't think you're going to be a leader, you're not interested in this topic. It feels like I'm fine with conflict. I I know I avoid it, but I don't really need this stuff. Once you now have an an obligation to the organization, it's a whole different ballgame. So unless you identify as a leader, this won't even be of interest to you. Isn't that interesting in itself? Because in my naivety, I thought conflict handling, managing, and making choices about how you step into conflict or if you do that at all, is relevant in any part of our lives because it we have is. social circles as well, don't we? It is, but until you have the accountability of leadership, it will always feel like it's just someone else. And you'll live oh, in your wow. drama, you'll live in your story, and you'll be like, well, they did this and they did that. And what I know, I've learned by 20 years of doing this work, how to identify a problem getting ready to happen, whether it's with an employee, whether it's with a boss, whether it's with a professional, you will hear language that indicates a lack of responsibility and a victim mindset. And then they did this to me and I told them they're not going to do this. And you know what? This is what they meant. When people talk as if their assumptions are facts and and they already know what someone else was thinking and they're 100% certain and there's no curiosity about it. If they're using irresponsible language of blame, resentment, justification for their own behaviors. And I called him a so-and-so and you know what? He deserved it. I can tell you that person has not seen the relevance yet 
of cleaning up their own act. They think it's everybody else. Then I wonder in this moment how people who need that responsibility, that accountability, um, manage conflict in their personal lives. Oh, it's horrible. I've seen it. I, I, I definitely have in the past had really close people in my life that they, even though they're very highly educated and brilliant and funny and smart, they still have this one blind spot about their own responsibility of expanding their own awareness and about the part they played. And I will tell you that they suffer to this day. They suffer for years because they don't feel, they feel powerless because they're only looking at the behavior of the other person. They're only looking at the circumstance and not the choices that they made and nor the choices that they have today. So I have a whole chapter on choice and about eliminating the victim mindset and why it's so important that we do not see other people as victims, that we see them as powerful creators who have yet to recognize their choices. Mm. Oh, that sounds powerful in itself, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. What I often say at the start of workshops is that while I am the expert here on a certain topic doesn't mean that I do everything perfectly because I'm a human being as well and I'm imperfect. I have emotions. I have triggers. You said right in the beginning, I fall into the area of the aggression. So I, I sometimes, you know, come across a bit aggressive when it comes to conflict. Mm -hmm. So I really loved the authenticity and your vulnerability here. But at the same time, you obviously gave me an opportunity to go a little bit deeper with you. So you have written five books. You are, from my perspective, being perceived as an expert in uh, the leadership area and the leadership space. You are clearly a thought leader as well. But where would you say are still some of your challenges? Uh, how do you recognize them as well? When do you notice that you fall into that pattern? Yeah, I'm sure I still have blind spots that, you know, other people see that maybe I don't want to admit as much because we all do. And I just think that my work keeps me humble. I mean, I get a big head sometimes, you know, I get excited and think I know so much, but then like everybody, right? Like we fall into the hole. So I really, I strive to be a learner and to understand that what makes me good at what I do is the willingness to share my dirt with other people. And also to know that I'm not trying to be a guru. I'm not trying to be perfect because that is where I'm going to suffer because I, I just, I don't have time enough to be perfect. All I can do is share what has come to me in my journaling and meditation and my studies and my insights. And then I apply that to my own life. And then, as I said, I'll see where I'm making those mistakes when life challenges me on different levels. So I think that we don't ever quit learning. And as far as expertise, yes, more than most, I would say. But it doesn't mean that there's perfection or that there's not another way to look at things. So I always tell people too, like if you're studying another thought leader and you like the way that they explain something. Don't get yourself entangled as to who's right. Do what works for you. It, it's about your life. Whatever methodology is working for you, that's really what you need to adopt instead of saying, well, so-and-so said it this way. And that's fine. If you can't interpret how that merges together, pick something and stick with that because it's about you using what's practical for you. Yeah. So when was the last situation where you noticed, oh, I'm stepping right into a conflict and I might be responsible for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, my mother's in long-term care right now. And if you want to talk about drama that comes up for you whenever you've got a loved one in a nursing home, I mean, emotions that you never knew existed, perceptions that, and half-truths that you hear from other people that gossip and feed you information. Oh, they, were, they didn't go attend to your mom. They took a break and she was left in the toilet for 45 minutes and no one was there. I mean, there's stuff that you hear and I didn't even realize, I knew I was tired and I knew I was at capacity at one point during this journey. And uh, I was just having trouble getting her a glass. Of, they, the ice wasn't available, getting just the basic needs met. And I, it's like, I kept tallying this stuff up And I didn't notice that I needed to address it right then. But I was new to this. I was new to like what to expect. And one day, I can't remember what happened, but I hit my limit. And I just went out to the floor and attacked the, the nurse that was on duty. Uh, she was sitting there visiting with a CNA. And, and like there was no ice water. There had not been, you know, we'd use the call button. No one had, I didn't know that the call button wasn't working, but nonetheless, what I saw was visiting and texting and like, we've got needs that aren't being met and it's mm. beyond ridiculous because it's been going on for a long time. Mm. So I took out everything and I just went and attacked and I just said, why is, 
this and that happening and and uh, it's it's unacceptable and i see you out here visiting i just attacked and, and she just she pulled back and she said i didn't know i said no nobody ever knows that's the, that is the theme song of this organization i was just off and no one could get a breath and she said well i'll go talk to the um director of nursing i said no bring her here and she brought her here and i stood i cussed i i told her off i was and she took it on the chin luckily i felt horrible about it I didn't feel horrible about it, though for about three weeks because I didn't have, they call it a refractory period. The anger was so intense and it felt so justified. And the truth is I told my friends and they would go, you go girl, because see, we look for justification. We look for, they deserved it, which yeah. that's one level of truth. But I, me in her alignment, after I got calmed down, it took three weeks. I had such a feeling of, wow, I've written a book on conflict capacity and I lost my capacity and didn't recognize it. And I went off and I felt justified and I was blazing. So it did come about to where I, I did see the nurse in the hallway and this was about three, it was a full three weeks. So when people say, well, there's not time to apologize, there always is, even if they don't accept it. So I just said, Hey, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry for the way I showed up three weeks ago. She goes, Oh, we're used to it. Now I had two thoughts about this. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. That's not how I want to show up. And I wish I could have been calm and approached it from a different perspective. She said, it's okay. But my other thought was the reason you're used to it is because the poor performance continues so often that it's making people, that was, see, there's two levels of thought there. And I didn't really even have that second thought till I was telling uh, one of my clients that's a, a, also a good friend, a, a man that's in charge of a, a lot of uh, projects. And he's the one that said, well, if they're used to it, it means their performance is like that all the time. And I went, oh my God, thank you. That was like sort of a justification. So mm -hmm. it's the ability to see that while that's true, that doesn't give me, like I've written a book, I have to live to a certain standard and try to course correct and learn from it. And what I would talk about in my book is that what you need to do, it's not about being wrong or bad. It happens. It is, we're humans, we're complex. It's about saying, how can I start to notice when I'm at capacity? Mm -hmm. That's really the issue. Not that they didn't deserve it, not that I didn't have a right to be angry, but how do I want to show up when I'm angry and can I build the capacity to still feel all of that and then yeah. make an appointment for three days later? Because what happens is once we resolve it and we calm down, we don't want to make that appointment because now we feel that it's resolved when in fact it is not resolved. So we have to still resolve it even after we've calmed down. So if you could go back to that situation, right, without being at capacity, so you are calm and composed, however you see what, what needs to be addressed. Well, what I would do is I would look at what's happening that shouldn't be happening, right? And what's not happening that should be. I would get all that written down. And I would say, what am I asking for? Am I just wanting to complain and find fault? Or do I need something to change? Then I would have that list of what needs to change. And I would also be curious as to why it's this way and what am I unrealistic about? You know, so that's what I would do. And I would also just immediately go to the people that are conversing and say, we have some needs going on here, you know, and like, I need that to happen right now. But I had let things build up as, as part of it. And here's, here's something I talk about too. In all drama, there's always a lack of clarity. Where there's a lack of clarity in this particular organization, from my perspective as a consultant and as one who's got a mother in this facility, you don't know who to go to for a problem because everybody tells you something different. And it's very frustrating because I expect organizational excellence and it's not there. And there's no leaders on the floor. The leaders are in offices setting a mile away. So they don't know what's going on. So the people on the floor that should be leaders, like the nurses, should not be texting with employees and having a good time. They should be checking the rooms. They should be looking through to make sure things are getting done. So that's what should happen that's not happening. And I fear that I was so angry in my explanation of what's going on that maybe it was unable to be heard because I just seemed irrational, like someone who's grieving, you know? I think that's another really important point that you are making. Um, if we approach conflict that way, what are we actually achieving? And Not in much. that moment when we are emotionally involved and we feel at capacity and there's just exhaustion and all of that. And I would also highlight emotional disappointment there's someone in a care home who you care deeply about you want the best for them so there is this additional very important factor as well and all of that then leads us unfortunately to a reaction that may not achieve the result we wanted to achieve 
Well, and most people probably, if you're not aggressive, they'll just call the state, right? They'll just call the state and complain. And now you've got compliance issues and you've got the government in on it. So like we all handle things differently. An avoider would probably just try to move their parents somewhere else and hope for a better, like we do things to avoid that feeling because we want power back over our lives. And I don't think it's any coincidence that I'm going through all of this after having written a book like this. And it really humbles me to see how we all think we know something when we're in a good place. And I jokingly used to say, do you know when I'm at my best? And if I'd be at a speaking engagement, people would say, when you're challenged. And I say, oh, heck no. When everything's going my way, (laughs) I'm at my best. So when am I not at my best? When things aren't going my way, when I haven't had sleep, when I'm overly worried and can't control my mind, I'm not at my best. I'm not at capacity. And at least the awareness of that can help you to know you're not at capacity. What can you do? What are your choices? If you can recognize your choice, you can find your power. But if you are at the mercy of your feelings and your emotions and you blow up or you go call the state or whatever your deal is that you're going to do to get back at someone, you might have caused a bigger problem now than what you would have had had you been able to take a space. And it's hard to expand like that, especially if it's your kids or your mother, your spouse. It's really hard. And it's really hard if it's a lot of money or some some big project that fell fell through. So whatever's important to you is gonna is cause you conflict. So I find it very challenging to see my choices in a moment when I'm truly at capacity. So I'm not talking about a little bit stressed or it's a bit of a full on day. I'm talking about has been going on for a while. I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I should set boundaries very clearly and more often, but I don't do it because of all sorts of other issues, uh, anxiety of saying no and all of this stuff. So how am I going to regulate myself and my emotions in that moment to approach that situation in the best possible way I can in that yeah, specific moment? I think it really is about reprogramming And part of that is to recognize what your trigger is and what gets you to that trigger. For me, if I'm tired and hungry, not a good time. I already know that this is not the time. So it's just a rule that I've created. So once you create those rules, at least you won't trigger then. The the next rule needs to be, but I still address it after I've had time to analyze it. Because if you don't, it's still there. So you have to reprogram your brain. And sometimes you have to build a plan. And like sometimes I'll coach people that are in tough business situations and they say, yeah, but he's going to say this and he's going to be real impatient. And I'll say, so since you think that's going to happen, what are you going to say if that happens? Because you've got to know that you've got a pathway. Like don't get triggered by being caught off guard. Being caught off guard is what does it to us. So if I can say, okay, they normally are a very impatient person and sometimes they raise their voice and they cuss, what am I going to do? I'm going to know it's coming because if you're caught off guard, it's happening in such fast motion. And then you're like, oh, I should have said, but if you know it might happen and we open the possibility for it to be not that way, maybe it won't happen, but I think it will because I know what the past is. When that does happen, if it does happen, I'm going to say, could we both take a moment? I know we're both passionate, but I'm feeling agitated or I sense irritability, whatever it is that you need to do to get that space, you have some control. You can say, I can tell that I'm too tired for this conversation because I'm getting wound up. And so just take ownership of it and just say, let's talk um, next week at two o'clock on Thursday. So have your plan. Your plan is what's going to help you to notice it like slow motion. You see it coming and now you do it. You've got your plan. Every time you're caught off guard, it's old programming. It is old programming. It is something within you that you haven't thought about. So the good news of what happened to me was I know that when I see things that make me really angry, I don't have all the information. I start to reinterpret to say, this is how I'm interpreting it now, but I might not have all the information. So I need some rest first. And then that way I can analyze it and then come back and really address it in a way that's going to be productive. And I think that's the challenge on so many levels that we are interpreting certain situations in a certain way. We are adding our own assumptions, beliefs, experiences from the past, and that's our truth in the moment. Mm -hmm. So we make judgment calls about situations, other people right away that may lead to a conflict. And, And I said that early on in our conversation, I experience conflict around me far more frequently at the moment. And I wonder as to whether it's the isolation of the pandemic that we have unlearned to step through healthy conflict or sitting on top of one another and created so much conflict that we became tired of it or don't know what it is, but there's a lot I'm noticing. And I literally practice every day how 
to see that conflict or better said the situation so that they don't even become a conflict trying to put myself into other people's shoes or calling it out um, and just having a chat with them with empathy and so on yeah. and so forth. So curious about your view. Yeah, I, I think I think we are seeing a collective consciousness of anger, a collective dissatisfaction with, with our governments, with mm. just yeah. what's going on in Ukraine, everything, that, the, the COVID, what's going on in Ukraine, politically, we're so divided, we're not even able to hear another point of view because we're so clear that we understand it fully. Mm. It is hard. It's really hard on a worldview. What I'm finding is that if I know that the only thing I can really change is me and and the and the way I show up, that's one piece of power. I've thought of something else this morning. This came to me that sometimes someone posts something. This was an example I saw the other day. I love the disruption that happened. Here's what happened. <laughs> someone posted, stop trying to change everybody else's opinion and just do your thing. And people are like, yeah, that's right. Then here came the dissent. And it's like, okay, we're getting ready for a fight here. Someone said, well, what if that person believes that Rosa Parks shouldn't have had a seat on the bus? And I thought, great point, right? Like there's a different point of view. Like, first of all, it's about just mind your own business, do your own thing. And then here's someone else that says, yeah, but what if that person believes that Rosa Parks should have never got a seat on the bus? And I thought, wow, how would I want to respond to that to not spark a fight? And I just said, good point, because it is a good point. And I said, but those kind of people's opinions will never be changed. That's why it's important for good people to do good work. So you see how that became a bridge? Yeah. Absolutely. But if our attention is on changing that person versus doing the good work, Mm. that will change the situation. Mm. We're putting our focus on something that we can't possibly change. Mm. But what we can do is what we decide, what we collectively decide, how we want to work for good. So I I go along with more of that viewpoint of do your own work. And at the same time, what if it's that person that thinks there should be segregation? Well, you're not going to change that person's mind. But collectively, with enough people doing good work, they won't have another choice. They, They can still have their opinion, but their opinion won't have any weight. So that's how I look at it. Like we're putting our focus in the wrong place, trying to make someone else come to realize humanity and goodness and equality if we put our focus trying like on them and their negativity we're putting our focus in a way that's not helping the cause we say we support Mm. I love that it puts you back into the driver's seat as you said more positive mindset focusing on what you can do in building bridges to the people who still get very caught up in those debates in that moment focusing more on the negativity so there's there's so much gold in what you were just describing yeah, we get real attached to making sure you understand my point yeah. of view. And I'm going to fight you on what you don't understand versus doing the good work I need to do to make the change. Yeah. Right. Being the model, doing the good work, going and, you know, offering ideas for legislation and supporting in the ways that we want to support. Instead, we'd rather fight on Facebook about who's right and who's too liberal and who's too progressive and who's too conservative. So that's a waste of time because calling people names and making them wrong by the way you label them is not going to change their no. opinion. And if that's what you're wanting to do, you're not doing it. Yeah. You're not doing it at all. That That is disrespectful um, in that moment as well. Um, I just noticed that I had a little bit of an inner conflict. So by all means, without any disrespect labeling people or anything like that, but I just put myself into a situation that happened in the UK very, very recently where the government decision was made and I could literally feel everything boiling up inside me, like anger, disappointment, disbelief, a bit of stuckness as well in, in terms of really how, how can this happen? What can we still do? And there was then this quick shift of me in terms of, okay, what can we do? How can we as individuals in a society share a different level of leadership that's required, not just in the UK and so many other countries as well, and take more ownership and take charge and become positively contagious to other people to do the same. The inner conflict, however, that I had was, but that feels unfair, fairness is a key value for me, because government aren't they there to be role models and to do X, Y, and Z. So naive, I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, it was an inner conflict. It was just a fact in that moment, right? Yeah. Do I now need to do the job for them? <laughs> it was, it was that. So, so why I I'm one hundred percent with you in terms of what you shared and to build those bridges. And I will come back to that. 
I also realize how tough it is in the moment when you're so emotionally involved about a topic that you're also passionate about. Just the awareness of that is enough in that moment, right? Like that's enough awareness in the moment because what really it feels like doing what we feel like doing in the moment is cutting off the relationship, having the last word. That's our ego wanting to be noticed and understood because we felt like we didn't win something that was important to us. Mm -hmm. If we can learn to reinterpret to say, oh, this is interesting. You know, look at my, look at how I'm real attached to something that I may not understand fully or look at how they may not understand something fully. And I'm mad about that. You know, I'm mad that they don't get it, you know. So what I know for me is how I try to deal with these kind of things, which do happen, you know, is to say anything that creates us against them mentality is not where I want to stand. I already know that. Like if it creates division, I want unity. So if I want unity, what does that require of me? It requires something different. It requires asking a question. It requires taking a space. It requires self-reflection. It may require of me to do research and listen to things I don't want to hear and to understand why someone comes from where they come from. Because if I can understand it, even if I disagree with it, I now know how to influence. Mm-hmm. So that's really, it's slow. And we, we are getting into this fast pace. I want it now. It's a click of a button. I believe everything I see. This came from a friend, so I trust it. Mm-hmm. We're in that kind of world right now. And we have to be more critical thinkers than that. We have to be willing to slow down in order to be accurate. So I think it's just self-awareness of saying, okay, I'm feeling division right now. And I really feel like I could, because I'm the queen of sarcasm. I mean, I, mm. I'm gifted. That's a gift, but it's a curse. So do I want to use that tool right now? Or is that going to cause me more grief later? So I just try to take a breath and like on social media, I, I, I don't argue about things for the most part. I might say respectfully, I disagree, would be curious to learn more on the back end, you know, with a conversation, like even with the masks and COVID, there was a real hateful thread that happened mm-hmm. online where you had very, very, very conservative people saying that the, the virus didn't really exist. It was all a hoax. They're not wearing masks. Everybody else is just sheep. It, it got that, it got that bad on, on a thread that I had. And I thought, can I maintain my composure? Because like, you know, I wanted to say, oh, my God, you know, whether who started it, China start, whether someone started it, it's still here. People are dying. Well, one of the very people, young man that was being really a smart aleck to me in many ways and making fun of people that were wearing masks and he didn't believe in it and he's not going to be controlled by the government. Well, his dad died of COVID because his dad wouldn't admit that he had it. So, you know, I, I was able to say. I don't remember what I said to shut shut it down, but I allowed those comments to come in and I would say, ask a question and I could I would say things like, to me, that sounds like you're rude and you're trying to pick a fight. Like I would actually call out the behavior and say, you know, you're not being respectful with the way that you're presenting your case. Or I would I did some stuff like that just to show what it looks like to lead from that place. It was very uncomfortable. And I found myself getting engaged and distracted, looking at my thread all the time and feeling that pit in my stomach. And it was rough, but I finally did shut it down. I can't even remember. I wish I I wish I'd have like saved a screenshot or something because I don't even remember the particulars. I just remember the feeling was horrible and people were just jumping in on their sides and, you know. And I think that that was a particular challenge because it's not just about the discussion in that moment. It's also about the learnings from it because every conflict, any discussion, any situation can bring so much learning. But when you notice in this sad situation, for example, the dad died. Now I don't know what happened then for that person, uh, what the realizations were, of course, on top of the sadness. But often they don't change exactly. The few doesn't change. The dad as well, which was in my circle to some degree in the past, was the type that would have rather, this is my perception of it, okay, so this is my assumption. He had rather die being right than to figure out that COVID existed and he was going to die from it. Like he died happy because it was something else. It was a bad cold. It was a whatever. And, and yeah, that people would rather die being right than to figure out that, hey, I've been kind of wrong about this. Maybe I need to mask up. Maybe I need to get a shot, you know? You know what, that's that's such an important point when it comes to leadership. Leadership means you are in a constant learning mode to better yourself, to better others, and to have a positive impact on the people around you, let it be in your personal life or in your professional life. Now, am I going to be a person who lets ego win because it's all about winning? Or am I a person who says, you know, I'm truly curious. 
I'm a connector. I want to learn. I don't need to be right. The curiosity exceeds this need. It's so hard to, to overcome that need mm. to be right. And I had a saying a long time ago, if I can remember it, it was the need to be right soothes the ego, but the willingness to be wrong changes a culture. You mm. know, um, the need to be right just strokes your ego basically or soothes your ego and the willingness to be wrong will change a culture. So if you're willing to learn, it's in a way, it's a safer place to be to say, I'm willing to be influenced, but not by drama and screaming yeah. and violence. I'm not going to, that's not going to influence me because it's so against my values. But if you can make a good point, I'll go look at a news source. I'll go look at a story. I'll hear your point of view and hear where the distinction is for me, yeah. you know, but um, it's hard to, to be a critical thinker because we're just blasted. I mean, the algorithms know what we're interested in. So we're going to only get what we believe to be true anyway. Yeah. And if you're not the type of person who's willing to listen to all kinds of like diverse points of view, without getting drawn in, if you're not able to do that, you're not going to have a complete picture because all you're hearing is what you want to hear was music to your ears and you can't withstand, you don't have the tolerance to hear someone's hate or someone's misguided beliefs. You've got to be able to at least look at it because just because you don't look at it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists. Yeah, absolutely. But that requires practice. Yeah, I, mean, I practiced a lot during the pol political debate between you know, Trump and Biden. And I, man, I, for three or four years, I listened to both CNN and Fox News, both very opposing, one very left, one very right. I also listened to some British stations or I read, you know, articles and, and such trying to get a different worldview. Wow. It really, it really opened me up and shaped me in so many ways just to be willing to not just believe something because it felt right to me in my mind or because my friends thought a certain way. I mean, I even had a couple of guys on my thread. This is another thread that really got juicy on my thread. And immediately, and I was listening, I'm like, show me your sources. I'm glad to go read it, you know? And my friends jumped on there and I'm not real close friends with some of these folks, but they were consultants and they, they jumped on there and started calling these people crazy and you're deluded and you need middle. I thought, wow. I didn't even do that. And people that like me went, but they caused the fight instead of just allowing the thread to unfold into a conversation. Yeah. They just attacked. It's, it's something that I unfortunately see on in so many spaces at the moment, particular uh, news pages and so on and so forth, where it becomes so personal, but also very rude and, and not helpful at all. Um, yeah. yeah, I find it very challenging. Um, well, I think if we if we kind of have our own rules and guide guidelines about how we want to show up, that's, what's going to help with that. Like, for yeah. example, I already know I'm never going to call someone a name or use like foul language on social media. That's just a rule. It doesn't matter what they do to me. I'm going to make my choices based on who I am, not on what they did to trigger yeah. me. So like, if you already know that you don't have to think about it anymore. You just know you're not going to do it. You, you're not going to have regrets when that gets snapped and people take pictures of it and start forwarding how you acted and you're trying to, recall it you know just know that you're not going to do it yeah and you know what I would like to end this show today with on a very positive note because we talked about the different ways of conflict um some challenging situations some clearly challenging situations that are being enhanced by social media nowadays but what we haven't really touched upon a lot at least are the benefits of conflict because there are clearly benefits of conflict that um, speak against avoiding them so what are all these great benefits mm -hmm. Well, there's personal expansion for one thing. You're going to expand. If you're, if you're um, expanding your conflict capacity, you're growing as a person. Also self-awareness. You become more self-aware as to what bothers you, what triggers you. And it can be just kind of a fun little game. You can just kind of watch and sit back and kind of, this is just a show. I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to, you can watch other people. Once you get comfortable with it, you can see avoidance a mile away. You can see appeasing. So you're, it's like you're watching a different movie because you're not drawn into all this appeasing that's happening and you're not buying into it. You're going, mm, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I could tell by they, this, they said it this way. So there's, there's entertainment value in it as well. Um, there's also acceptance of others in a different way to say that it's not really about that person. It's just that we have opposing drives, desires, and demands. Uh, it can help you to, to be a unifier and a bridge instead of a barrier. It can help you clarify organizational goals. So it's not about the conflict. It's really about your own capacity, your own inner alignment. And if you can realize that, then it becomes more of a personal journey versus fixing everybody else and making sure everybody behaves a certain way, you can say, well, I kind of trust me, and this is going to be interesting. 
and you just become a really strong and confident person. So I think that I, I never really come from the place of embrace conflict because I don't know that we can do that just by the nature of being human beings that are going to be triggered by something outside of our comfort zone. We don't necessarily have to embrace it, but we do have to face it. And if you say, I don't necessarily like want to call it to me, sometimes I do because I want to grow, but I don't really say embrace it. Let's all kumbaya. I say, just be willing to face it. Just be willing to face it. Just look at it. Just look at it. <laughs> Sorry to make me laugh. What? what a world! What a world would that be if we all sang kumbaya just and just embrace? Like, no, I don't embrace it. I like I like things to go my way. I like to be happy. I like to be right. But I can face it, and so yeah. if I can face it then I can see the benefit after the fact and go, wow, look how I grew or wow, look how I was so wrong yeah. or look what, look what I'm capable of when I'm not at capacity. Like we get to know ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't embrace it really. I don't look for it. I don't want it. And I already know that I'm afraid of it in certain ways, the things that make me feel vulnerable, but I'm willing to just take that breath and, and kind of accept it and release resistance to it and mm -hmm. say, it's, it's just part of my journey. And if I trust my journey, it's going to be okay. I trust my journey, even though it feels terrifying. I trust it. You know what? We get to know ourselves. We also get to know the other person. If we are willing to listen and to get to know them, to understand their triggers, which can help next time in case Absolutely. there is a, an, another conflict, which in the workplace happens, Absolutely. right? But it can bring us closer together. It can, if we're willing to, if we're willing to own our part and use it as a personal growth tool and know that it's the best tool to, to, uh, increase our leadership capacity too. So if we look at it that way, then it becomes like, it's okay. I'm going to have this as part of my journey and it's okay because it's part of my journey and I'm supposed to have it. And so I'm not going to try to hide from it because that just delays my growth. I'm just going to like face it and I'm going to walk into it and I'm going to learn and I'm going to keep talking to other people who have overcome and I'm going to expand. And you're a different person in three years than you were, you know, in the past, once you start thinking that way. <sighs> already feel calmer <laughs> yes not gonna sing kumbaya though i tell you that <laughs> so we we uh, touched up on your book from uh, conflict to courage you mentioned linkedin learning here it is here we go uh you mentioned linkedin learning so tell the audience a little bit more about where they can find you find your learning opportunities the book and so on Yes, well, the book is on Amazon or Book Depository. If you're international, I think there's something called Book Depository and you can look up from Conflict to Courage. It's on Amazon. Um, my website is my name, MarleneChisholm.com. I'm on LinkedIn. So if you want to follow me there, you'll get updates about the things I'm doing live. And then if you have a subscription to LinkedIn Learning, which is a different thing than just LinkedIn and LinkedIn Live, but if you have that subscription, you can learn from me. I've got five programs on there and other people that are equally good or better than me on conflict and personal growth and, you know, data management, uh, project management. I mean, everything is on LinkedIn Learning. So if you've got a subscription, it's probably worth it. I have a subscription um, and I watch other experts as well, but I have five on there. One's anger management, difficult conversations, my latest, uh, how leaders get results and manage conflict in a hybrid workplace. That's been translated into Dutch and Italian even. So, so there's a lot out there. I've got to ask you why into Dutch and Italian? I guess they're just trying to expand their global footprint. I guess I've got, I've got one other one that's translated into Chinese and and Portuguese. So I've got a lot of Brazilian people <laughs> uh, that, that follow me because it was translated. Mm. So I guess they're just, they're a global organization and uh, they just want to put things in as many language, you know, trainings as they can. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful and important. My initial thought was, well, there are so many other nations that uh, could definitely gain value from it. So mm. to come perhaps, maybe. Yes, I come. think so. They just constantly, I don't know how many they put out a year, but it's astronomical. I mean, I, I meet with the LinkedIn instructors once a month and there's always 50 to 70. And that's just a little tiny snapshot of all the instructors. So they put content out in the world, very dedicated. They're very clear about their mission and vision. And I think they, they do good work. Brilliant. Wow. Thank you so, so much for being on the show today, for sharing all your insights with us. And for being so real, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Marlene. And thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. 
And thank you all of you listeners for joining us here today. And as always, let us know what you thought about the episode. Get in touch with Marlene, obviously, and with me if you have any questions, feedback that you would like to share. We are happily here for you. Have a wonderful remaining week and speak to you again very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.